Next thing you know, they're playing three, four sports at the age of seven, eight, nine. And it's like, well, of course that's why they're leaving the game. Like this is taking over their life, right? And you can talk about, you know, going to Houston, like how many family vacations now are planned around U Sports? Every right, right, exactly, right, right. We don't go on family vacations. So <laughs> yeah, you go to U Sports tournaments. You go to U right? Sports tournaments. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here on You Think, presented by Audiorama, and as always, our friends in Invisalign. A couple of weeks ago, I, I had the privilege of attending the Project Play Summit. It was an event held in Washington, D.C., and for those of you who remember, one of our most popular episodes here on You Think was with um, Dr. Michael Gervais. It was back when we launched the show. It was episode two, along with Jerry Rice, uh, the first week that we announced it, and towards the end of the episode, I, I asked Dr. Gervais, I said, where can we get more resources for our viewers and our listeners who can continue this conversation of educating themselves in this space of youth sports and, and best practices? And if you remember, uh, Dr. Gervais said he mentioned a place called the Aspen Institute. So that kind of got our team kind of looking into the Aspen Institute and, and what they were and 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 what they did. And it was very quickly realized why Dr. Gervais recommended the Aspen Institute. And, and shortly after being connected with, with their team, um, they invited us to take part in the Project Play Summit. And, and the Project Play Summit is the nation's premier annual event for leaders at the intersection of youth, sports, and health. So it's pretty clear why we felt you think needed to be there, why we felt our team and our presence needed to be there. And the team of people that they had putting that event on were beyond impressive. This, this, the Aspen Institute group are very good at what they do. They're, they're really in tune with the best practices in this world of youth sports and, and both from a parenting, a coaching, and of course, from the, from the adolescent standpoint. So they asked me to come. I, I took part in a, um, in a panel with Dr. Andrew Pearl. Dr. Pearl's the chief of sports medicine at the Hospital of Special Surgeries in New York City. So he is operating on, his team is overseeing the surgeries of every single major case for the most part throughout the entire country of professional athletes all the way into the youth space. And, and he sits on multiple national boards that oversees both injury prevention, um, best practices for recovery, best practices as far as how to keep your son or daughter at the youth level injury free and, and safe from injury. And then in the event, of course they do, they do get injured. You know, what do I do? How do I find the best place in my town in my community to get them on the path to recovering? So it was an awesome day. I sat on the panel with, with uh, Dr. Pearl and had a chance to interview him. So we're going to try to have him back for a full sit down here on you think and, and let him share a lot of the information he shared with the, with the people at the summit uh, at the Project Play Summit, because I think our listeners would really get a lot out of that. We got three of the keynote speakers. We asked them to come together with us and form a little sit-down panel. Um, we were joined by Jean Lee Batris. She's the MLB Major League Baseball Players Association Youth Development Foundation. Um, they go out and they oversee. You know what are the 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 challenges facing you know participation in youth sports. Um, you know specifically in baseball and softball, but then just like globally across the landscape, like what are the challenges facing families? Um, opportunity access resources. Um, so so Jean Lee, she was a great resource and, and and awesome to have on the panel. We had Jason Sachs. He's the chief development officer of the Positive Coaching Alliance. Again, so much of our purpose here 
is not only teaching parents how to, you know, better navigate it for their children, but also we have a lot of not only parents, but a lot of, you know, just coaches, just a lot of youth coaches that are just learning what are the best practices in impacting the lives in a positive way of young children through the world of sports. So having Jason um, and his expertise from the Positive Coaching Alliance was a huge was a huge plus. And then lastly, Jose Corona, he's the vice president of programs and partnerships of eat, learn, play foundation, which is actually a foundation formed by, um, Steph and Aisha Curry. Um, obviously everybody knows Steph Curry of the golden state warriors, um, him and his wife, Aisha, they started this foundation out in California. And again, it's about access. It's about how do we get more kids to try different sports find different sports as an outlet, as access and, um, and get them acclimated. So to have his, to have Jose on the panel and just talk about some of the challenges they see, not only in California, but some of the challenges in youth sports, um, you know, across the country. So between these three guests, we really covered a wide array of topics. And, um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Our show is always brought to you guys by our friends at Invisalign. Um, Invisalign is the number one doctor trusted brand having transformed over 12 million smiles over the past 25 years. Invisalign gives you the opportunity to make a trusted decision that can help build confidence for your child. Find your trusted provider at Invisalign.com or talk to your doctor. So now please enjoy this special edition episode here on You Think as we sit down with Gene Lee Batris, Jason Sachs, and Jose Corona. I hope you guys enjoy it. And thanks again. joined today by a really special panel guest. This is the most people we've ever had on one episode at one time. So we are thrilled that you guys have all taken a break from your busy schedules here at the Project Play Summit to join us on You Think to continue to further this journey and further the messaging that we're trying to offer here on You Think about best practices of this crazy youth sports experience. So first, just for quick introduction purposes, Gene Lee, Beatrice, um, the MLB, MLBPA development um, team, thank you so much for, for being here. And we're very honored that you decided to take a few minutes to join us. Uh, we're also joined by Jason Sachs um, down at the end uh, with the Positive Coaching Alliance and Jose Corona, who is with the Eat, Learn, Play um, organization, which was founded by Steph and um, fellow charlatanian Steph know, Curry yeah. and his wife, Aisha. So thank you guys all so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So, so our journey here on, on, on you think is really how can we better serve families out there very much like us, very much like me, who are struggling with this everyday grind, this everyday journey to serving their kids through the youth sports experience in America. It's a youth experience that's probably very different than how we all grew up um, in, in our day. And you could argue it's for the better, you could argue it's for the worse, but nonetheless, it's very different. So I'm gonna start with you, Gene. Uh, something that we see across the country, the, the data is very clear, um, broken out based on, on, on the type of sport, is the participation in youth sports is at a very interesting kind of time right now. I would love to just hear your role with, with the MLB and the MLBPA and the development role of, of youth participation and getting kids back into playing both local sports and at higher levels. Like, what does that landscape look like in your eyes? So I, I really want to narrow in that the Youth Development Foundation was created to grow the access of youth baseball and softball. So parents and families who could afford to go and travel ball, right, they're not really affected. If you look at statistically college sports, especially the Ivy Leagues, 
We see demographically, it's wealthier families, Caucasian white families. Our sweet spot is really diversification of the game. So we're in underserved communities, underserved populations, and that's, those are the families that are most hard hit. So how do we solve this growing problem? Um, we reduce the costs. We increase participation by creating local play. So we're investing a lot of capital projects. Infrastructure is needed in towns and local communities. If you look at a single family home, how's that mother or father driving that kid you know, to the field? I mean, it's almost impossible. If the field's 40, 50, you know, 60 miles away, you're not getting the kid there. So infrastructure is key, better programming, better coaching, equipment, uniforms, mentorship as well. Most kids aren't going to make it into the major leagues, but let's make them major league citizens at the end of the day. Yeah, so as you, as you look at it, you, you mentioned a lot of the different factors that influence participation. When you, as you rank them, and you guys are tackling this issue, what's at the top of the list? What, if you could just have a magic wand and say, okay, if we solve this one at the top, it's gonna have the largest. It won't impact everything, it won't make the problem go away, but it will make a really big impact on this problem of access and problem of, of participation. Ooh, really tough because these issues are a confluence kind of, of many things, it's yeah. inextricable, but if you maybe really choose one, I would say just having a local affordable rec league to play in. Yep. That that's number one overall. Yeah, and and and, and Jose, I'd be curious with your with your work and, and your foundation. I know a big big element of yours is also access mm-hmm. and resources and the experience of young kids. So as Gene describes this kind of issue that's going on all across the country, getting kids to participate at the local level, at the foundation level. What are some of the efforts that you guys are doing with your foundation to kind of tackle similar similar issues? Yeah, it's it's a great question, and, and thanks for having us here. Of by the course. way, um, you know I think that Steph and Aisha really believe in making sure that we have access to nutritious food, a quality education, and safe spaces for young people to play freely, but also organize sports. I think for us, uh, when you talk about an affordable way uh, for kids to participate, it's in schools. Um, it's the, you know, they participate for free. So increasing participation and resources so that all kids, regardless of what school in the neighborhood you go to, you have the same access to the same sport. So in Oakland, for example, you have some schools that play 14 sports. And then you have one school below 580, which is the dividing highway in Oakland, that has no sports. So how, you know, that's not equitable. So it really depends on where you live, what, what sports you access. So for us, we're funding... Uh, and taking a big investment in Chick Bite, uh, partnering with the school district to invest in revitalizing middle school sports. So no matter what school in the 17 middle schools that exist in Oakland, if you go to Bret Hart Elementary in Flatlands or Edna Brewer in the Hills, uh, you're going to be playing the same sports. So we want to make sure that the access is equitable and uh, in, in schools it's free. You know, Because once you get to play ball, it's, whether it's a little league or soccer, then you start playing, paying and then travel and you add costs. And then it starts keeping out the low-income kids that we all want to support. So for us, it starts with making sure that schools have robust, organized sports uh, uh, programs, but they also have playgrounds as well. So we're revitalizing playgrounds and working with organizations like Kaboom to making sure that we have a great place, safe space for people that may not be doing baseball or soccer. They want to go out there and just run, get on the monkey bars or get on a swing. Uh, We want to give them that access too. Yeah, I always tell my kids, and you know, people ask me, why do, why do you encourage your kids to play sports? Right? And I always joke, if the idea of youth sports was to make everyone a professional, right. we should just shut it down. Right? It's failing. Yeah. It's not, yeah. that, that's, of course, not the idea. And I tell my kids, I want you to learn the lessons of sport. I want you to learn those valuable you know, teamwork and hard work and adversity and all those things that we all 
have learned firsthand or secondhand through the experience, but also like have a great school sports experience. And in my opinion, looking back, right, I've played in Super Bowls. I played in playing with my high school, with my dad as the coach and my best friends from the time I was a kid playing school ball was some of the best sports memories of my life. So when you guys say like access to sports just through school, where I grew up, we didn't play middle school sports. But now in Charlotte, kids start playing some sports in sixth grade and some sports in seventh grade. But where the challenge is, everyone's experience leading up to that seventh grade school sports is vastly different. And, and, And you guys nailed it. We play a lot of baseball and we're playing travel baseball. And it could cost you, for us to bring our family to... Houston, Texas, it could cost us 10 grand. Yeah. I mean, it's not everyone is doing that. And, and that is, and that is a huge issue. Jason, I want to, I want to dive into a, to something that I think is, is also related to this kind of question of participation. When you start talking about, and, and I think there's a stigma that might not be fair. And, and yeah. Gene, you probably hear this a lot about like local rec sports, right? Yeah. People for whatever reason have stigmatized right. that it's, it's some sort of lower level exactly. or that that's not for but along those lines, not only does it impact which families and kids and whatnot, it also impacts which coaches you get. For sure. Right? So the, the, parent, the people who are coaching maybe travel ball sports and the way they approach it and the way they coach the kids and the way people are participating in the little leagues and the rec ball level and the way they interact with the kids could be vastly different. So obviously with the Positive Coaching Alliance, you guys study this. Yeah. Do you see those trends kind of interconnected? Well, I think it's, it's your first point of that, like the stigma around rec leagues right now you know i we have six-year-old twins so they are just like very beginning like rec local and i have friends that have first and second graders and they're traveling two hours each weekend to play a soccer game and i'm like how is that how is there not the local option and they're like well all the good kids play travel and i'm like but why aren't we investing more in the local pro like we shouldn't have to leave our town if it's big enough to to create that good experience right and part of that comes down to coaching right we have volunteer coaches versus maybe some full-time coaches that are putting into that travel or you know that bigger soccer club and they're investing more resources but I also think it comes down to the expectation and also like why are we in such a rush to move to that that travel program because what ends up happening is kids start traveling every weekend and practicing multiple times a week when they're in second and third grade, by the time they get to fifth and sixth grade, like this has been a job for the last five or six years. Yeah. And it's one sport and it's year round. And then it's another sport year round. Next thing you know, they're playing three, four sports at the age of seven, eight, nine. And it's like, well, of course that's why they're leaving yeah. the game. Like this is taken over their life, right? And you can talk about, you know, going to Houston, like how many family vacations now are planned around youth sports? Every right, right, exactly, right. Right. We don't go on family vacations. So, <laughs> yeah, you go to youth sports tournaments. You go to right? youth sports tournaments. So it's, it's basically like, if why can't we invest more in those local leagues to slow the, it down? Because there's stages, right? We talk about the romantic stage where a kid can just go out and kick the soccer ball and play on a playground, whatever, and, and fine. We are, the next stage is that technical stage, and we are rushing kids to that technical stage very early. And I get it. Like, some kids you know, oh, well, you know, they might be bigger or they're faster or they have an older sibling, so they've been around the game more. But I still think there needs to to be more investment in those local rec leagues to provide that experience of playing with your friends and and also just the burden of feeling like you have to be on the road all weekend for three games, right? 
Yeah, and 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 Gene, I think this this I think you'll find this very interesting. A personal little anecdote. So years back, we grew up. Our kids played baseball through the local. It was a Cal Ripken Rec yeah. Association, yep. like a, you know, like a little league, but Cal Ripken. It was an awesome experience. But at nine years old, it goes to kid pitch. Mm-hmm. Okay, so up to eight years old, you played rec on your, you know, you broke you up into 10 different equal teams and then they took the 12 of those kids and you played on a challenge right. or all-star yeah. team yeah. and you played 20 games in the summer against other challenge teams and it was a great experience for everybody. Okay. You had a trail, it was fun. Then it reaches nine years old where you start pitching and the families of the kids who really want it, they have some ability, they want to go out and test themselves against other teams, they do what you just said. Yeah. They start leaving the rec. Right. So Gene, I guess my question to you is, in order to kind of combat this keeping up with the Joneses, where it's like, I don't want to leave rec, but the top, the other five families we've done this with for three years, they left. If my kid stays behind, he's quote unquote falling behind. I'm saying this is yeah, the yeah, message. Yeah. How do we combat that? Because my, I'm putting my family at the top of that list. We, we left. We joined a travel organization and we never went back. So like, how do we, what is the message you have for families out there to combat that exact thing from happening. And, and it's such a great point that you're bringing up because you're part of the keeping up with the Joneses yeah. and you're, you know, you were a professional football yeah. player, so you're doing it as well. Well, two things come to mind when we talk about combating the trend mm-hmm. and it, you know, Jason brought up some great points. Think about orthopedic problems yep. that are rising. Like why does an eight-year-old kid have to go in for surgery? Because he's been pitching so much. Yeah. Like, isn't that a problem? Let's look at what we're doing for these kids' bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Second thing is, um, when you think about sports sampling, that makes you a better athlete. Um, I have to just give a shout out to one of our board members and dear friend, like Dave Winfield. Like we know him as an amazing football player, but he's also an amazing basketball player. In fact, he was recruited to all three drafts and he is a great athlete because he played many sports. Jack Nicholas, dear friend, wonderful man. We had a whole debate over dinner one time. I said, Jack, you know, we really talk at Aspen Institute about, you know, 12 years old, 14 years old. We don't want kids to specialize because of injuries and everything else. He said, he's 16 years old. Let them be kids. Jack played like five yeah. sports at a minimum and played them really well. So two things for parents. If you really are on that college track to get a full scholarship, let your kids sample different sports and let them find their passion, yeah. right? And two, tee them up for success. Let's not see them at, you know, a hospital having surgery at the age of eight or 10. They're fatigued and they're like, why did you put me in the same sport 365 days a year? And you can't tell me that living out of hotels, motels, airplanes, and cars is really enjoyable for your vacation. Some of it's fun. (laughs) I have to admit, I'm sorry, Gene, some of it, some of it is fun. But I I will also say, and our viewers know this, and and Jose, I'm I'm gonna get your point, your perspective on this, but our viewers know this. I'm a big believer that every kid and every family unit is very different. So even within my own household, my daughter, she pretty much just plays soccer. She plays rec soccer, like a local rec organization in Charlotte. It's great for her. She plays with all her friends at school. They practice once a week. They play a game on Saturday and she has a blast and it's great because that's what's best for her. If we put her into a travel weekend drive, she'd be overwhelmed. She doesn't really want to spend that much time, but she's happy at that level. My, her twin brother plays like a hybrid. He's playing quote unquote travel baseball, but we play in Charlotte. Yeah. We'll do like one fun yeah. trip a year for the kids, but they play in Charlotte. My other son is on the complete opposite side of the spectrum based on his interest level. Like 
I tell them all the time, I don't need you to be an athlete. I don't need you to be a football player, baseball player. But it's what drives him, and he wants to go do that. So, Jose, in, in your work with, with Steph and Aisha and your foundation, as you guys are going out trying to improve this youth sports experience, how much attention are you placing into we also need to be very specific, right? Every family, every demographic, every community has very different needs, has very different desires and wants, and maybe internal cultural pressures versus external. Like, how do you guys combat that when you're out in the community working yeah. with these families? Well, I mean, we start by just being really good listeners to see what families and actually, more importantly, what kids want. Uh, we're actually in the process of doing a state of play report in Oakland to really understand what kids want to play. Because we assume as parents, you know, I played soccer through college and I pushed my son to play soccer. I, I don't regret it because he's really good and he's <laughs> having a lot of fun. But, you know, to, to an earlier point, I, I just want to be a parent, you know. I don't want to be a coach. Yeah. Leave that to other people. I want to be a parent. And I think most families that we talk to, they also just want to be parents. They want their kids to enjoy a sport. They want them to play something. They want them to be active. And I think this issue about sports sampling is a really key, key one. You know, Steph plays basketball and we don't push basketball on the kids. We started with middle school sports, but Steph will tell you his favorite sport is golf. Yeah. And he's really good he's at very it. Very good at it. <laughs> and he's actually partnering with Jack Nicholas on the Memorial Tournament now to diversify the game of golf. Mm -hmm. Golf is a big investment that we're making in Oakland and we're not golfers. Just because it's an easy, accessible one. There's courses we can actually uh, there's many courses, municipal courses in, in Oakland that the kids can go to. We just provide the equipment. So we listen. Do you want to play golf? Do you want to play, you know, lacrosse? Um, interestingly enough, archery came up. Uh, and Oakland had an archery range. I didn't know that until we actually learned. And then girls want to do figure skating. There's a nice ice skating rink in Oakland. So we're, we're started by just really being good listeners and really understanding what kids want. And I think... Often enough, we push kids to the sports that we think they want to play, baseball, football, soccer, um, and, and the more popular ones. Yeah. But I think that we never really ask them, like, what do you what want do you to do? Yeah. You know, a lot of these kids in Oakland, it's, in the West Coast is not a big lacrosse country, but yeah. now it's starting to because, you know, you start to experiment. You make it accessible. A kid wants to play. We provide some whatever you call it. I don't play lacrosse. So the stick, the stick. stick. Yeah, it's a stick. <laughs> so we, we provide do a lot of baseball. We play lacrosse. And, and the great thing is, you see them in the P class, you know, throwing the ball yeah, on right. the stick, and they're actually enjoying it. And I think above everything, you want to make sure that these kids are having fun. Yeah, whatever, whatever they're doing, it's a fun experience for them. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be competitive, whether it's rec right. or it's competitive. You know, I hope that your kids, when you're traveling, they're having fun too. Exactly. You know, and it's, it doesn't become a job. It doesn't become a chore. So that. When it's not fun, kids leave because they're not having fun. Yeah, that's the biggest reason. And from the people that we've spoken to, when you, when you cast a wide net early, mm -hmm. and then that specialization is just a natural, organic process, and maybe peaks in high school, maybe peaks in junior year, they really hyper focus on a sport. They have the ability to go on to college or go on to play. Different story. But we're asking these kids at ten years old, and we're asking these families to evaluate your ten-year-old son or daughter. Are they, is your son a soccer player? Is your daughter a soccer player? I don't know. My daughter's in third grade. I don't know what she is. She, some days she thinks she's a mermaid. I don't know. Like she, she's a nine-year-old girl. You know, like she's figuring it all out. It's something I, that you brought up, Jose, that, that I think really is an important conversation that we have on your thing. And Jason, I'm going to ask your, yeah. your thoughts because I think this is obviously directly to what you guys do. When you say kids having fun, 
mm-hmm. and the experience around youth sports. There's three elements, right? There's the individual child who's the priority. That is who this is all about. And when they are kept first, traditionally the, the experience goes well. Mm-hmm. The other two components to this kind of mm-hmm. trifold here is the parent and the coach. Yeah. Typically when it goes sideways and it's a bad experience, it's one of those two parties mm-hmm. brings a negative environment, brings a negative experience yeah. and the kids suffer. The coaching element at the youth sports level is something that I really struggle navigating. I'm like you, Jose. I would prefer just to be a dad. I would love to go bring my folding chair, sit there, clap, give my kid their feedback, good or bad, on the way home, whatever. But I don't. And I end up stressing every day about getting not only my kid better, but your kid better and your kid better. How do we get more quality coaches? How do we get coaches who are really in it for the kids' development, the kids' experience, and they're not in it for their own ac- their own affirmation, their own ego. Like, how do we accomplish that? Because yeah. what I see out there on the weekly basis is very is very <laughs> challenging. I think if you really want to see a, that bigger change, we go to the organization level, mm-hmm. right? So we're having conversations with the little league board president, and we're talking about like what is the expectation that you're setting for your coaches. Like, you know, somebody might say, hey, Greg, like, we know that you are an athlete and can you come and coach, right? And who knows what your mindset is, but the only reason they're asking you to coach is they know that you are an athlete, right? Right. But they don't know anything else. And you could say, yeah, I've been an athlete, but I don't know anything about coaching, but I'm just going to show up. Did they provide you what is expected of you? Did they provide you with any resources or tools or training to really say, this is the type of coach we want you to do? So... I think it starts with the leadership of an organization saying, hey, if you're going to be a coach here or you're going to participate here, here are the expectations as a coach. And here are the tools that we're going to give you because if I'm looking for coaches in my town to come out and coach, but I don't give them any resources, like I'm not stepping into that. Like I don't know what I'm getting into, but if we're saying, hey, we're going to do it, we're going to get all the coaches together. We're going to you know, provide you with the training, not only skills and drills, but also better communication with with kids, better communication with parents. Like, what's the importance? And guess what? We're not just going to talk to the coaches. We're going to bring the parents in too and tell them what their role is. Let the coaches and the kids worry about the game. It's your job as a parent to really support the child and support the coach in a positive way of just, hey, we're out here and I'm so happy that you're out here and I love watching you play instead of being the ones. Because if a child makes a mistake during a game, they're, they're looking three places, right? They're looking down, they're looking at their coach, or they're looking at their parent, right? And the game's still going on. So if you have one reaction from your parent saying like, hey, don't worry about it, it's all good, and the coach has his head down, I can't believe you made a mistake, then the kid's like, oh my God, I let my coach down, and three plays have happened all in that. And so like, that's not preparing the child for, you know, like eventually in life when things aren't going their way and they're just getting down. So how can we equip coaches and parents with the tools and resources on how to have these conversations or how to teach the lessons that you talked about that are going to carry over long after they're they're done playing. So, so how do you guys do that? What is the actual practical process? So you mentioned little yeah, league. Yeah. So you you developed this relationship with little league, and now it's time for them to now pass along these messages and these so best we practices. Could, yeah. So we would partner with a local youth soccer organization, okay. and we could do a workshop for the, with their board and say like, what do you want your league to be known for? What's your mission statement? What's your vision statement? What are the structural pillars that are gonna allow your culture to play out. So, hey, like, do you have a parent code of conduct? Do you have a coach job description? So you set the stage with the leaders and then we host a coach workshop. We host something for parents. 
when we get up to middle and high school, we actually have a whole character and leadership development program for the student athletes on how they can use sports as that vehicle. I think what people don't recognize is that outside of schools, there's like 35 million kids playing youth sports every year. So outside of schools, it's really the largest yeah. gathering area for sports. So we need to not just think about it as wins and losses and, and, and competition. Those things are really important. And I think the competition and the winning and losing, we don't want to take that away because and we're not everybody gets a trophy because those things are what make this such a powerful platform to teach the youth development aspect yep. of it as well. We always say the wins and the losses are a byproduct. You're right, exactly. The wins and losses are a byproduct on how we practice, exactly. the culture we build, how we hold each other accountable, how we hold ourselves accountable, how hard we work. If we do all of those things throughout the course of a week or a season, we're not going to win them all, but we're going to win a lot. But we're not winning because we came here with the objective of winning. Right. We're winning because we came with the objective of doing things all the time the right way. And if they're not the right way, we don't attack you individually. Right. We don't attack you as a person. But we are going to correct you. Yeah, we are going to hold you accountable. More so because you owe it to yourself. Yeah. And then as a result, you owe it to your team and, and vice versa. So I, I, I just think that's so important for our viewers who a lot of them, of course, are parents. Yeah. But a lot of our viewers are not parents. They're right. just youth coaches who are saying, I'm committed to these kids. How can I do it better? One, and one principle that we teach yeah. is we call it redefining winner. So people are used to the scoreboard results. Yeah. They focus on like they're comparing themselves to what other kids are doing or other teams are doing. And then when kids make a mistake, it becomes like you're coming out of the game, right? We want to redefine and, and create that mastery environment. And then how do mistakes drive learning, right? Because if we create that mastery environment, the kids' anxiety goes down, their confidence goes up and they feel more control. And that allows them to stay at the task longer and work harder. And it's like, well, isn't that what we want for our yeah. kids, right? Time so, under task, exactly. deep learning. Yeah. It's, that's a really fascinating. Yeah, my, my soccer coach in college uh, had this saying that I've actually applied it to all aspects other than just soccer and sports. He said, to your point, I'm going to be hard on the problem, but soft mm -hmm. on the person. Yeah. yeah. And he was that with our with all of our team. He, when we made a mistake in practice, um, he went after it. Like, here's how it affects our overall yeah. strategy as, as the team yeah. or what we're trying to do. But he was never pointing you out, hey, Greg, you know, you messed up. Yeah. Uh, it was always about, here's what should have happened and try to correct it. And I've actually applied that in on the business side of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I ran organizations and so coaching a person, managing a person. And I, I'm, so, I'm soft on the person, but hard on the problem because it affects the goal of the organization. And I think that that's something that, yeah. again, it came from a coach. Right. But exactly. it applied to so many other things so many than just life. Life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it's so important. And the, the one time we come down hard on the kids, and I'll be the first to admit, we if you have a ground ball go between your legs, mm -hmm. you strike out, yeah. we're never going to yell at a 9, 10-year-old yeah, yeah, yeah. kid. You slam your bat, right. you throw your helmet, you're not going in. We have a standing yeah. rule on our team. If you show any sort of outburst following a bad play, you throw your hat, you yeah. kick the dirt, you throw your bat, you, whatever, you cry, whatever it is. You don't go back in. You'll play. You'll go back yeah. in at some point in the game. You will not take the field in the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is the one thing. And if that mean, and some parents don't like it. Yeah. I'm be completely honest. Some people, well, you're singling out my kid. Yeah. No, because I do it to my own kid too. Yeah. I'm not singling out your kid. I'm singling out that their actions are not acceptable. Yeah. They're not bad kids. Yeah. They're nine. Yeah, they're they're sad. They're upset. They're yeah. embarrassed. Don't further the right. embarrassment yeah. by making a scene for yourself. 
we're not tolerating that. So to your point about we never yeah. come hard on the kids, insult them, tell them they stink, tell never. Right. Yeah. But we are going to fix the problems because the problems are in their own best interest yeah. and the entire team's best. And interest. I think setting them up for like the expectation, if you're focusing on the effort side yeah. of things, yeah. those are things that they can control. Yep. So you can constantly see improvement yeah. where. You know, like you might have had a great swing and somebody caught it, right? Yeah. But it was a great hit. Like, so the result isn't there, but the effort that you've been working on is there. And then they can start to see that improvement. So it's what are we celebrating, yeah. right? Yeah, we're we're yeah. not a results oriented. Exactly. Youth sports should not be a result. Exactly. It should be a process orient, yeah. oriented <laughs> objective. And typically the results will be what you exactly. want. So Gene, back to, and then we're gonna, we're gonna go to our last little part and let you guys go. Again, thank you guys for yeah, being no, a part great. of this. This is so awesome. So Gene, back to my earlier story, and I, and I want to get your, what I could have done different, or maybe what the league could have done different. So I'm going to play a little devil's advocate. So we're eight years old, we leave Cal Ripken. Before we leave our local rec organization, me and the other guys that were coaching the team, we go to the board and we say, okay, you guys are losing your 12 best players every year to travel ball. They were your eight-year-old team representing this association, and then at nine, they leave because they want to go play weekend tournaments. They want to go play larger events, but they can't because they have a Saturday morning game. Right. They have a Wednesday game and their coach wants them to pitch. They don't want to pitch on Wednesday because they got to pitch on Saturday and Sunday. And it's this whole thing, right? That's where yeah. baseball is a little different than the other sports. You can play more games, whatever. So we go to them and we say, we'll make a deal. Don't make our kids play the weekday games. Work with us on the schedules and we will keep all of our kids representing your organization and we will go play quote unquote mm -hmm. other travel tournaments but we will be we will practice here we will play here we'll wear your name we will represent this organization this recreation organization and they said no they said that's not our business we are serving the entire group and I, my argument was you're not serving the entire group you're only serving everybody up to the very top kids yeah. What about them? Like, do we ignore the kids right. who practice a lot and put in a lot of time and go to extra lessons? Like, should we not reward them and let them stay a part of this group if we really want to focus on the entire spectrum? So I'd be curious, like, is that the right approach? Can you, is that something as rec organizations we can be a little bit more open-minded to and say, maybe that's a good way we can kind of push this problem back a little bit? Oh, million dollar question, because I think it's a huge problem and challenge that we're still yeah. figuring out, especially with baseball and softball. Right. We're just talking about baseball. You know, I, I just spoke on a panel regarding in-town rec leagues. And if there was a system where you would encourage local play during the week, but you allow those kids to also travel on the weekend, but only starting up to the age of like in middle school yeah. and onwards, I think we would have a much better system, Absolutely. but you see this tug and pull mm -hmm. and it really comes down to the economic system, right? Okay. Travel ball wants all the best kids and they're constantly traveling. They want them to play 12 months of a year around, depending on the weather, yep. right? right? And that's where like local rec leagues lose out. But I think there's also that stigma that is not competitive and you're not being mm -hmm. put on the track for success. You're not going to a Michigan or Vanderbilt to play at the end of the day. Right. So 
I think we have a lot of headwinds, but that's where Major League Baseball Players Association, we're trying to create other opportunities for underserved kids and localized play across the country. I wish I had an answer today, yeah. Greg. If you figure it out, please I don't have call an answer either. Trust me, that's why I brought you on. <laughs> I don't have yeah, the answer I'm either. listening, Gene. <laughs> but well, I think on. if very, we look at this panel, it is very <laughs> yeah. complicated. Yeah, it is. And I don't want to, you know, poke the bear in the room, but when we also look at like NCAA rules and scholarshiping, yeah, that's that's a major challenge yeah. for baseball because yeah. we're losing the kids who really love playing our game, but they have to play football or they have to play basketball because they need an education because yeah. mom or mom and dad can't pay for it. Um, and we're trying to figure it yeah. out, but there are greater forces around. And the best we can do is continue investing in the local fields, put lights in for extended play, encourage, you know, getting them equipment, uniforms, yeah. and high quality coaching, and yeah. trying to instill character development. I think that's what all you guys were yeah. talking yeah. about. I think the biggest education needs to go to the parents, exactly. right? Exactly. I think that's what we heard today. Yeah, <laughs> typically, and typically the parents, the adults, the parent, the coach, whoever it is, Typically, adult the adult is at the core of yeah. any sort of negative experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, there might be a few bad apple kids here and there. In the time we've been doing this, coaching yeah. teams, there's very few bad kids. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of kids who are influenced by their parents. They're repeating what their parents are saying at home. They're seeing the interaction between their parents and others, the coach in there. They're, these kids are absorbing all of that, yeah. and they're internalizing it, and it's affecting their experience. It's affecting how they handle conflict in the future. And those are all things that, to Gene's point, like these are very multi-layered, complex issues. But I think, again, that's why having a panel like you guys who come from all you, similar backgrounds, yeah. but also very unique yeah. in, your, in your perspective and in what you're doing out in the community is just so valuable for our listeners to be able to piece it all together. Yeah. So the last segment is we call this the three before you go. I'm just going to ask each of you one quick question. We ask Typically, we ask our one guest, all three. But for the sake of this panel, we're going to ask each of you one thing. So I'm going to start with you, Jason, at the end, and I'll, I'll finish with Eugene. Jason, what what is one thing you know now, as you as you evaluate the youth sports experience, that you wish you had known years ago, whether when you were playing or whether you were growing up? Like, what has changed so much now that you wish you would have had the ability to see back when you were young? Well, I think it's um, I think I'm going to answer a different question that's related. I think one thing that I'm that I miss now that we had before is like that sports sampling, right? When I was growing up and playing, we played, you know, soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, and baseball in the spring, and then the summer we, you know, did whatever. Went to the pool. And yeah, exactly. Went to the beach. And then there were the travel teams. And it's like, I think the the horses left the barn on that, right? It's, it's not. So I think if what would have been great to know is like to see that sort of shift coming and like what could we have done? Because Going back to your example there, like there's not to say that that in-town league can't then sort of start a division where you start to have a travel, pro you know, yeah. like as kids get over. So I think just being able to evolve with as things are changing, like we know we're not gonna go back to the way when we played youth sports, but how can we also make sure that the important things are still being focused on and recognized in the new landscape of youth sports, so. I think that's, I think that's awesome perspective. And, and greatly appreciate it. Jose, I'm going to give you the next one. What, what would you, and this is probably the most important, so I'm going to share. What would your message be to all the families and the parents that are listening to them, listening to this right now? What would your advice to them be as far as you mentioned pushing your son, your experience as both an athlete and then as a parent? What advice would you give fellow parents raising their kids, navigating the youth sports experience? 
Um, I mean, I'll speak from wearing my dad hat on. Um, I would say to other fellow parents, you know, let your kids be kids. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever sports they're playing, or even if they're not playing sports, uh, just let them be kids and let them know that, that that's okay, that they are good enough. And I know it sounds kind of cheesy to say that like, you are good enough, uh, but they are, you know, just that positive reinforcement, just be a good role model. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, they, they look for role models. Little kids look, look up to you. Uh, you're, I mean, my son looks up to me and he watches everything that I do. So just be aware as, as a parent, as a family, um, be aware of how your behavior impacts not only your, the, the ability for your kid on, on the sports, on the field, on the court, wherever they're playing, but also in life. You know, that's actually even more important. So just be, be aware. Uh, I'm not asking, nobody's a perfect parent, and I'm not asking you to be perfect, but I'm saying just be aware of your behaviors and the things that you say, the actions that you do, because kids pick up the action. You might say something and might forget it, but they, they, the action is what really sticks with them. A silent car ride all the way home. They, you know, they, they're asking you for input, and you just, you know, you're so mad because they made a bad play on the field, and you just are quiet for 30 minutes in the drive, and your kid is, you know, pooping their pants because they're like, oh my god, is he so mad at me that yeah. he's not talking to me? That's something that I actually learned, and my son actually brought it up. He's like, why don't you ever talk to me in the car? He's like, just tell me that I didn't stage, but just tell me because I want to know. So, you know, even actions like that, and, and, I, and I'm sure that other parents can empathize that yeah. silent ride, it's happened. I, I've been a culprit of it, but just be aware of those behaviors and of actually, you know, and just try to correct them. The car ride home is a, that is a delicate balance. <laughs> I, I do not pretend to have the answer to the car ride home. Don't I, talk about it, just talk about something else. I could, yeah. I could for sure improve in that regard, I'm the first to admit. Gene, we're gonna finish with this. We've covered a lot of this already. Youth sports has drastically changed over the last 10 years or so, but what do you see the biggest challenges youth sports still is yet to face? I'm actually worried about the trends despite all the investment from great partners that we have on this panel and today at you know this this summit is, you know, can we really turn the tide? Can we really turn the economic tide of curtailing losing kids to travel sports? But even more so being unable to convince the parents who can't afford to be part of that economic system to give up all their life savings because they need to get Johnny on the team because he's going to get a scholarship to whatever the university yeah. it is, right? And so it's keeping up with the Joneses. So that's my biggest fear because the long-term impacts we talked about, orthopedic problems, financial savings, um, not getting a proper education because you're spending so much time on the roads, biggest worry ever. Um, but you know, I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. I think the more we get together in groups like this and talk about uh, solutions and actually one plus one plus one is greater than three, yeah. that's how we're going to solve it. So I'm not a total pessimist. No. You just asked me what my worry <laughs> no, is. No, you're that's realistic. My worry. And, and I think that's super real. I think that's what we all fear, right? And then you factor in mental health and we yeah. see the ramifications yeah. of, of what impact sports has on not only young children. We see yeah. the impact sports has on professionals who are yeah. adults and they struggle sometimes sure. dealing with adversity mm-hmm. and failure and expectations. So how do we expect young kids to handle it appropriately? So I think all that is just so valuable. Again, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Um, Jason, Jose, Gene, thank you guys for, for joining us here on You Think. Your voice, your perspective, and your experience hopefully is as valuable to everyone as it was to me sitting here today as 
mostly a dad who's just looking to <laughs> learn a few more things about navigating this world. So thank you guys all so much. I know our viewers are going to love it and uh, enjoy the rest of the Project Play Summit here in, in DC. Thank you guys. Thank Thanks you. So all right, welcome back, everybody. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that roundtable discussion as part of the Project Play Summit uh, with the Aspen Institute in Washington, D.C. from a few weeks back, as much as we did. We, you know, we knew sitting there in the audience, listening to the keynote speakers throughout the course of the afternoon, share their perspective and share their insight and expertise into what areas of this youth sports experience in America that we were getting right. And then what were the areas that we were falling short? And listening to each one of these speakers kind of dive in to their specifics and, and their area that they really dive deep and study on a daily basis, we realized that their voices um, collectively would really resonate with our viewers here on You Think. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that roundtable um, panel. There was a lot of information, a lot of info to take from it. And uh, I know I enjoyed sitting down with the three of them uh, a great deal. So at this point in the show, you guys know what's next. We got our fan questions. And for that, we bring back in Tasha, my producer, and... Uh, Every week, you guys have some great questions and some great direction for where you want to show to head. So, Tasha, what's up? What's up? Yeah, we got some great fan questions this week. Um, Greg, someone wants to know if you think, are youth sports fun anymore? Or do you think they're just for profit and accolades? You know, I think it's a good question. I, I, I do think it's fun. You know, and I, I think the, the real question is for everybody to define, you know, what is fun to them? Right. I always joke with my kids and you know, we are here to have fun, but this is not recess, right? Recess is, is like traditional fun. You're not going to really be told what to do. You can pick what sport you want to play. You want to play kickball. You want to jump on the trampoline. You want to jump on the swings. There's no one really micromanaging. You make your own time. You make your own fun. You do it with who you want, do what you want. Well, that's not really youth sports, at least in my experience, you know, it, there is structure. There is expectations. There is accountability. You are put into a group setting where the group hole is more, is more important than your individual success. And that's not fun for everyone, but I do think the overall, if, if done the right way, if done in a lot of the manner in which that we discuss here at you think if it's done in a way that the child is able to make a connection between hard work, accountability, all the stuff that leads up to, and then in the game, they find success. They feel improvement. They feel that self, that self-confidence that that work they're putting in is leading to what they ultimately want, which is to be part of the team, to contribute, to have a role. And at the end of the day, find success in some element of, of the sport that they're playing. To me, that's fun, right? To me, that's fun for the parents. That's fun for their child. It's fun to see their child grow. It's, it's fun for the child to feel that ownership and feel that pride and confidence. Like to mm. me, that's fun, right? We're not going to come. If you're on one of my teams, we're not going to come and play duck, duck, goose and hopscotch. Like, and people like, Oh, that, that to me, that's not fun. You can do that at home. You don't need to come to my practice to learn football or baseball or basketball and, and make it, you know, silly recess game. So to me, the process should be fun. The kids should enjoy coming to practice. Not everything can be a grind. Not everything can be, you know, just taskmaster and just making them go from one thing. Yes, there needs to be a more light, a lighthearted, you know, moments at times. But at the end of the day, to keep this train moving forward, there needs to be all those other things along the ride. And and I think the kids that that have that experience and the coaches that do it in that manner and the parents who support that approach, I think at the end of the season, at the end of the day it's a positive experience. And to me, that's fun. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And probably helps prevent burnout, which kind of leads to our second fan question is should teams and leagues be competitive before age 12? Yeah. You know, I, I would love, I, I don't know the, the pure science and data. I know we talked with, with Dr. Gervais about it. And, and one of the things that he always really highly recommended was that each child is put in an appropriate level for them, for their family and for their own abilities and capabilities, mm-hmm. both mentally, physically, socially, you know, all the, the, the elements that make up a good experience. And that's not the same for every single kid. So I think to make an age requirement and say it's 12 years old, well, some kids are really immature at 12. Some kids are very mature at nine. Some kids can handle it. Some kids can never handle it until they're 17, right? So I think it's such a moving target that to just put a firm date on you can't play travel till you're 12 or whatnot. I don't, I don't think that's fair. You know, I've been around kids as young as eight, nine years old who can really dial in and practice and compete hard and, and really build not only the physical skills and capabilities, but they can develop the mental focus and the ability to go through a long summer travel season and really excel and really do a great job. And I would say if that's what the kid wants and that's the direction that the family wants for them and they can, and they can pull it off. Why hold these kids back? Right. What we, what we don't want is we don't want the parents forcing the 10 year old kid onto a travel ball team where it's three practices a week. And now they're just feeling overwhelmed and they're, and they're outside of their comfort zone that, that we for sure don't want, but we also don't want to punish the kids who can handle it. So I think all along, we've always said it's got to be kid driven, parent supported, I think it's got to be very tailor-made to the specifics of each individual child's physical capabilities, their talent, their skill level, but also the ability mentally and socially to handle the rigors of what comes with travel ball. And the family has to be behind it 100% to support them along the way. Cause it takes, it takes a village to play travel sports nowadays. You know, the kid's not driving himself to and from practice. He's not driving himself out of town and booking hotels. It's a family commitment. So if it's a match, I think it's a great, great experience for these kids. I've lived it firsthand. If it's not a match, that's also okay. That's also okay that not everyone starts at the same time because we don't need to make a one-size-fits-all approach to youth sports. And I think we've, we've talked a lot about that, of course, you know, here on, on You Think. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Parent-supported. Kid-led, parent-supported. And yeah. parents have to understand what that means. And kids have to understand what that means. And, you know, we have a lot of long talks with our kids all the time. We had one the other night and we said, Hey, listen, you know, with one of my sons, it's, if you want to do this, we are behind you a hundred percent of the way you're, you're good enough. You're talented enough, but you need to be all in or else it's a sacrifice that the entire family is making for you to not be all in. And, and they, they're really, when you have those heart to hearts with your kids and you really understand the impact that it has on the family. And if this is something they really want, but they don't have to do it. There's no one telling you, you have to join this team. You have to play on this team, this league, chase this bar because the kid down, there's none of that. But if you say you want to do it, then you have to do it and you have to do it to the level of your, of your capabilities. And that's, that's our only deal we make with our kids and our family is you say you want to do it. Great. But now the, now the, now the real work starts because you actually have to hold up your end of the bargain. So it's a, it's a challenge when they're young, but I think they get so much out of it. Hmm. That's good. Well, that's all yeah. the fan questions that we had for today. And you can keep submitting fan questions to Greg Olson or at you think on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter. Yeah. And thank you guys as always uh, for listening here. 
on You Think, uh, brought to you by Audiorama and our friends at Invisalign. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Thank you.